from the News Channel 5 Network. This is Inside Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm News Channel 5's political analyst, Pat Nolan. Welcome to Inside Politics. There's a little question that the biggest stain on the history of this country is slavery, beginning before the founding of our nation and extending well into the 1800s. And after that, slavery was banned by the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution in 1865, just after the end of the Civil War. What is the history of slavery in Tennessee? What vestiges remain through racism and discrimination? Our guests this week on Inside Politics include Bill Carey, a longtime journalist and author. He's written a very interesting book in the history of slavery in Tennessee here in the Volunteer State. Bill is joined by State Representative Karen Camper from Memphis. She is the first African-American lawmaker to serve as minority leader in the Tennessee State House of Representatives. Welcome to you both on the program. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, Bill, you said you wrote this book on the history of slavery in Tennessee. You were researching another topic in some of the early newspapers in the state through the archives, and you found some items about slavery that you found very interesting. What did you find, and what made you want to write a book about it? I went down, I've been writing a history column for a magazine called Tennessee Magazine for like 15 years. And I went down to the state library intending to just do a fun, a fun story about the first ever issue of a newspaper that was printed in Tennessee. It was like 1793. It was in Knoxville. And I started looking at it and I found slavery related ads in this, mag in this newspaper in 1793. And I thought to myself, you know, we don't really talk about slavery being in Knoxville in East Tennessee. And then I, it was, I, I started finding runaway slave ads and I started Next thing I found five, then I found 10. Eventually, I became obsessed with it, and I ended up uh, right-clicking and saving about 906 of them, different ones. And yeah, there were a lot of ads. Oh, yeah. And Many the, of these the would run like- the one you found was actually before Tennessee was a state. That's right, several. But remember that some of these ads would appear 12 times. So this was a major sort of source of revenue for all, all newspapers. There had long been a theory in Tennessee that was among the smallest percentage of states that they had when they would compare that compared to other southern states. And Tennessee was the last state to, to leave the Union. So therefore, there was a feeling that maybe it wasn't very, it was, the slavery wasn't really all that big a deal here. But you found out that's not really true. It was a big deal. It was, all the banks were in on it. Um, the newspapers were pro-slavery. Churches were pro-slavery. It was we were a slave state. I know there were parts of the state where they didn't have a lot of and a lot of slavery as part of their economy, but we were we were in every way a, a definitely a slave state. You found that the use of slaves was found in all three grand divisions. You alluded to that a minute ago. Even in East Tennessee, East Tennessee voted twice against seceding from the Union, but it was important there too. Well, I don't know what government did that, um, but. Um, but give me an example of how slavery affected everything. It was against the law in Tennessee after 1830 to write anything in public that, would, that was ab pro-abolitionist. The distribution of the book Uncle Tom's Cabin was against the law in Tennessee. I have found a story about a bookseller who was, who was arrested and tried for violating this law, and if he had been found guilty, he would have gotten two years of hard labor. We were very much a pro-slavery state. Representative Camper, uh, what did you know about slavery? Uh, did you learn about it when you were growing up in Memphis? Uh, actually, I did in, in high school. So my um, American history teacher kind of taught us about slavery. Coming up as a young child, I, 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 didn't, I didn't learn anything about it, not in the school sense. And my eyes were really opened when I went to University of Tennessee, Knoxville and I took a, a course in black history, black studies, and so that's when I learned even the more about it. Um, 
Bill Curie, you do a, pro a program in the, in, the, in the schools across the state called Tennessee History for Kids. Is, do you teach about slavery in that program? Um, certainly in the, what we go through in the state of Tennessee in public schools, U.S. history twice. First in grades four slash five and then, then in grade eight slash 11. During the eighth grade class in the booklets we produce, we have a lot about slavery. I do realize that some, some of what is, what is there is too brutal for fifth graders, and I, I understand that. But the last time Tennessee students do early U.S. history is in eighth grade. They don't do it in high school. And so, um, so we definitely cover that. Now there's this move across the country not to teach history or things that make students feel uncomfortable. I guess uncomfortable also in the minds of their parents. Yeah. Are you seeing any pressures about that to, for what you can or can't teach? A lot of people think the new laws say that, um, but so far, so far we haven't seen them interpreted that way. Um, but I will say that there's some teachers who think they can't do this, and but um, you know if you read if you read the five-page critical race theory law, and most people haven't read it, if on page three it basically says nothing in this law will prohibit the teaching of U.S. history and including complicated topics including slavery. So I don't. So so far we haven't seen a lot of like my book hasn't been banned yet, not yet. <laughs> President Camper. Um, there are a lot of things we're going to be talking about in, in Mr. Carey's book. Um, are you, um, did you know about most of these things or are you learning some things for the first time? That you, I know you learned some things in school. Yeah. But I have a feeling some of the things you learned at a UT maybe had more to do about how you were dealing with other students up there or faculty. Well, to some degree, but mostly it was about black history and uh, where, you know, you know, the slave trade and, you know, how far African Americans had come uh, through that point in history. The things he revealed in his uh, study and that's reflected in his book, I didn't have an in-depth knowledge on with respect to Tennessee. Once I got to the General Assembly and Eddie Weeks, who was our uh, legislative librarian, was doing a day on the hill for me, he gives a complete history of it. And it's one of my most popular segments when we bring people up to, t up to uh, day on the hills to hear from him because he talks a lot about, you know, uh, Tennessee's history with respect to slavery. Bill, your book's full title is Runaways, Coffles, and Fancy Girls, A History of Slavery in Tennessee. Uh, I think everybody knows what runaways are, but was that a real major problem in Tennessee? Well, it was, it was certainly a, a major source of income for the newspapers. There were like, and I didn't find them all, so there were probably more than a thousand different cases where somebody would run away and the ad would run. Um, but but I, th I think in hindsight, it was not a good title because people don't know what the second and third terms refer to. Yeah, let me take a break and we'll okay. let you come back and talk about that. Bill Carey's our guest. He's an author and longtime journalist. Uh, talk about, you know, about his book of history of slavery in Tennessee. Also, Karen Camper, state representative from Memphis, who's also also the minority leader in the Tennessee State House, is our guest. Back to continue our conversation after this break. We are back on Inside Politics. Our guest today is Bill Carey, who is a journalist, a long time, and an author as well. He's written a book on the history of slavery in Tennessee, and Karen Camper is also with us. She's a state representative from Memphis, and also the House Minority Leader, the first African-American woman to serve in that position. Uh, Bill, we were talking about the book. It also includes uh, things about um, fancy girls and coffles. What were fancy girls and what were coffles? Well, coffles is a word that existed in the Old South and it's kind of vanished from the vernacular after the war. Coffle is a uh, chain gang of slaves that were being herded and moved from one part 
of the, of, of the South to the other. You might see a coffle with 10 slaves. You might see a coffle with 300 slaves. There are sketches of coffles being herded through Washington, D.C. because- It looked like chain gangs. Yeah, they were definitely chain gangs. The word kind of vanished. I think it's still used in the word, world of livestock. Uh, but a fancy girl doesn't mean what you think it means. It, 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 it recognizes a, a female slave who is physically attractive who was singled out for sexual use. And, um, and there were, usually, this wasn't written in the paper, but the Nashville newspaper has ads for fancy girls being sold that were as young as like 15 years old. And, um, and if you, you would buy one of these if you were a slaveholder, and you might you know, lease her out to a steamboat and, and derive revenue from that. But it was, a, it was known and, and it happened, and you can, if you do Google search, you'll find references to it a lot. Karen, in your family, did you have ancestors that you can trace that were in, in slavery? Yes, I do. Uh, on my father's side, uh, in fact, we have a family reunion, and we call ourselves the John Billy Driver family reunion because that's our lineage to my great, 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 great grandfather who was born in 1813. Mm -hmm. So uh, on my father's side, my mother's side, we have, we can trace my great, 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 great grandfather uh, to the Delta in Mississippi. Now, there's a terrific television show on PBS, uh, Finding Your Roots. It's hosted by yeah. Harvard professor Henry Louis Gates. Often the shows explore the, the family trees of prominent African-Americans. Just as Bill finds in the book, he, most of, in most of these ads, you didn't find out a whole lot about the slave. You might find out how tall he was or she was, mm -hmm. what her first name was, but no, no last name or anything else. Did you have that problem? Anybody tracing who's gonna come to these family reunions, how you know they're related? And did you take the same last name as the, the last person that owned you? A lot of people like that. Yes, that is what happened, uh, especially on the driver's side. It was a white man named Colonel Driver. Uh, fortunately for us, we've had a great uh, oral history that's been passed down and that's been documented. And I will say with Ancestry.com and that's since that's, helpful. you know, come around, uh, we've been able to go back and get the last names and, and get more in-depth detail about our family. Well, how frustrating or how mad did it make you that you had to do all those extra things because they wouldn't recognize these people as really as even being people, being humans? Well, you know, when you're going through the discovery process, it's you're just excited to learn, finally solidify who you are, where you come from. So anger wasn't a thing, you know, for me. It was more pain uh, than anything else. Uh, Bill, local and state governments were very much involved in slavery. I mean, they the city of Nashville owns slaves, and you have yeah. documentation for that. Uh, even the state government got involved in it. Well, first, what did Nashville do with that? Well, first of all, I wasn't the first person who brought this out. There was a book that came out in 1957 that mentioned Nashville's ownership of slaves. I was first become aware of it when I found a runaway slave ad published by two different mayors of Nashville in two different years that referred to slaves that had run away from the corporation of Nashville. And then I called Ken Feith, you know Ken, okay. and he showed me a logbook that had detailed descriptions of these people when they were purchased by the slave trader um, who they paid $12,000 to and he went to Virginia and bought like 24 people and brought them back here probably in a coffle. And then there were two others that they purchased or that they took who were in the, in the state and local jail. So. Um, so, but one, one of the things I, I have brought up with several mayors now is we don't know what happened to these people. 
and and I've I, like the fourth straight mayor I've asked just last week to appoint a commission to figure out what happened to these people. Did they were they eventually sold to someone else or did they die? And who are their ancestors? Who are their descendants? Yeah, at this point? but mainly I'm just curious to know like. Um, I, I think I, I think I know the main reason that they were purchased in the first place, which is to build the original waterworks. Um, but and w one of them remained working at the water department until he died in 1870 or something, or 1880. Um, so we know that one of them continued to work for the waterworks. I guess he was being paid by that time. But I don't know what happened to the other 20. The state was also involved, and you may not know all about this, but you did find out they were involved in building the state capitol. And one there of them was, lost his life. Because one of them died. Um, but the other thing I found, this is an ad for a lottery. Before, in the 1830s, they had lotteries to raise money. And if you look at this lottery that they were having, there was a farm and a steamboat and another steamboat. And at the bottom, there were five um, enslaved people being sold. A man at 45, a woman 43, and three children who may have been their, their, their natural children. And we don't even know whether they were lotteried off together or separately. Karen, as someone who works almost every day when you're on the Hill mm -hmm. in the state capitol, and uh, were you aware of anybody African-American that worked on building that building? When, before I got there, I did this an assumption that you would believe based on the time that it was constructed. You know, you would think that slavery, slaves uh, were a part of it. But like I said, when our historian was telling the story and recounting it for you, it made it real for you. But there's no, no, no notification or anything honoring their, their, what the work they did on family. This is a state capital that right. had a statue of Nathan Bedford Frost. Right. I don't know if it was a Confederate general, but a noted slave trader. Don't you think? Is something what they did for the state capitol ought to be recognized up I there? do believe that and what that does is it gives balance as well and it really makes it real for people to understand the history of our state and the pain that people you went through. a leadership through. meeting with the Republican side if you brought that up do you think they'd be willing to help you co-sponsor a bill on that? I, they might you know I don't know they just might. Okay we're talking now to Karen Camper who's a state representative from Memphis she is the minority leader in the Tennessee State House first African to serve in that we're talking about the history of slavery in Tennessee, along with Bill Carey, who's a noted journalist and a longtime uh, uh, educator as well in, in terms of the history of Tennessee. Back to continue our conversation with Sue after you watch these messages. Welcome back to Inside Politics. Our guest today is a longtime author and journalist, Bill Carey, and Tennessee State Representative Karen Camper. She's the minority leader in the Tennessee State House, the first African-American woman to hold that. We're talking about the history of slavery in Tennessee. Um, Bill, I think perhaps the most heart-rendering aspects I saw in the newspaper ads were when you were talking about how not uncommon at all that families would be divided, different, sold to different masters, perhaps not ever to see each other again. You, you had husbands and wives divided. You had mothers and fathers taken from their children. Did slave owners just not see people, those people as human? I, although there were some who did want to do it, didn't, did not want to do there it. There were some way. who would specify when they're selling enslaved people that this family must stay together. But to give you some idea of why I wince when people say it wasn't that bad here, Tennessee was one of the few states in the South that didn't have a law prohibiting uh, women from being sold away from their small children. That at one point in the early 1850s, somebody suggested that we have a law that, like they have in Alabama and Mississippi that would prohibit a woman from being sold away from her baby. And the newspapers railed against it and it didn't pass. So um, that's one way in which we were actually harsher um, than they were in Mississippi. 
Kerry, when you read about this, and I don't know whether there's any family oral history stories in your about about members in your family being divided and sold to different mm -hmm. different slave masters. Mm -hmm. uh, how does that make you feel? Does that give you anger, outrage that uh, that people who looked like you were treated almost like pieces of furniture? It's mostly painful. I mean, it hurts you to know that one people can treat people like that, and then the pain that people went through. But at the same time, it I reflect on the strength of the people. Like, the fact that I'm here right now is because my people endured it. So I, those are the feelings that I have. When you were selected by your Democratic colleagues to be the first African-American woman to serve as the caucus of minority leader, did you reflect back on what your family had had to endure, the strength you had to have to get through that and then to see this, where you've now become a trailblazer, a historic person in the, in the history of the state? I did. I thought about the things my mother went through, my grandmother, uh, even my great-grandmother who was uh, ran out of Mississippi because she was standing, she was a sharecropper, and she was standing up for herself trying to make sure that her family got paid, you know, for uh, their day's work. And the, the uh, owner, uh, the plantation owner, didn't want to pay her fairly. And so she got into a tussle with him, and the next thing you know, she had to leave. So, yes, I very much reflected on that. What's the current situation here on the Hill? Last year, things became quite tense, particularly during the special session when two African-American members were kicked out because they wanted to talk about gun reform, gun and the rest of and the Republican members did not want to talk about that. Uh, do you find some vestiges of racism still existing within the legislature? I do feel that way because a lot of it is in the institution, and some of the policies from uh, uh, slavery to segregation to black codes. Some of those things are still in the policy. The funding of TSU? The funding of TSU, for instance. And when you bring it up, uh, you, you sometimes get these little micro kind of aggression, you know, towards you simply because you want to have a conversation around it. And I believe it's important to have the conversation because you have a deeper understanding on both sides but some people don't want to deal with the reality of it. Uh, Bill, slavery ended in this country just after the Civil War when the 13th Amendment to the Constitution was passed uh, and then the states ratified it. But in your book, you think, you sort of feel like slavery ended in Tennessee earlier than that because there was a, actually a vote about that statewide. Well, president about the more I researched this, the more I concluded that slavery ended in different counties at different times. It definitely ended in Tennessee different than it ended in Mississippi. Um, the Union Army's presence had a lot to do with when slavery ended in a certain place. But on, on February 22nd, 1865, Tennessee had a referendum. Not everyone could vote in that referendum. If you're Confederate-leaning, you weren't allowed to vote, that, where they outlawed slavery. And the reason they did this is because Governor Brownlow was trying to see that Tennessee wasn't uh, put in the same category with the other southern states. He wanted to because Tennessee's, um, Tennessee had to do that by referendum t because its constitution prohibited any law against slavery. So, so in Tennessee, it happened on February 22nd, but I will say that uh, um, everywhere you go, it's like different because after the Civil War ended, there were still enslaved people just across the state line in Mississippi. But apparently it was, the slavery was, was done in Memphis, so. And you did find an increase of a lot of ways once they got into the war, and particularly after slaves began to hear about the Emancipation Proclamation, even though technically 
the, the slaves here were not freed under the Emancipation Proclamation, even though there were large yeah. portions of Tennessee at that time that were under Union control. And yeah. it only freed the slaves in the areas that were Confederate control. Yeah, it's very complicated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bill, there's also what, what went on in terms of the end of slavery with, we also have went on in Tennessee, the founding of the Ku Klux Klan and the, and the terrorism that was part of that. Did that, did that sort of end people finding ways to get themselves uh, free, but not wanting to become free because they were worried about what might happen to them if they did that? Well, the Klan kind of came about four years later. Um, but I think the more I think about it, if you're an enslaved woman and you have three children and your husband has joined the Union Army or he may be gone and you may not know where he is, the first thing you have to, I would think, is that you, you, would, you would be concerned about how you're going to feed your children. So you might, that might be one of the reasons people stayed where they were. Bill Carey, thank you so much for being with us. Karen Camper, State Representative from Memphis, thank you so much as well. Thank Appreciate you being here on such an important topic. Glad to be here. And thank you for joining us on Inside Politics. We'll be back here again for a future show. If you can't catch the program over the air, over the air, on cable or online every week, keep, keep up by listening to our new Inside Politics podcast. It's now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Amazon Music, iHeart, and CastBox. Just search Inside Politics Nashville on, on your favorite podcast platform. Some episodes are already posted, and we'll post a new one every week, every Friday. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and goodbye.